K. Takwaye now presents Blackwing's Beating from the Skybound Saga by Alex London. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started a brand new series. We are reading Black Wings Beating by Alex London. And there are three books in the series. And I believe the series itself has a name. Sometimes they do. This is called the Skybound series. Saga. Oh, the Skybound Saga. Yeah, and this is different than what we've been reading at least recently. And the first time in a while we've had a male author. I know. We haven't read many books by male authors, which is kind of a shame. And Alex London, I've read his proxy series before. I've heard good things about that. Did you like that one? I did. I think that Alex London has like really great high concept stories. I think his his stories all have like... A really interesting concept at the core of them. I think it's what is interesting is having read Proxy how many years ago it was and then reading this book I feel like the writing in this newest book is like leaps and bounds better than the first one hmm. and not that it was bad I just noticed some things where like in this series it just felt it felt like he like really hit his stride in this series. Nice. Cool. So if maybe I don't need to go backwards, even if I love this, I just keep going forwards with his writing. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would recommend Proxy too. I just think the writing in this one is definitely better. So where do we start? How about we delve into some of the characters because we have some really fascinating characters and relationships. And we again have a multi-perspective story, but this one's told a little bit differently than we sometimes get. Yeah, and I actually love the structure of this book. I've never seen anything like this. So basically the book is divided up into sections, and the sections are organized by the speaker by, or by the point of view, and it's it alternates between Kylie and her twin brother Bryson. But what's great is like it's we don't get alternating chapters, we get alternating sections. Mm-hmm. So like each section may have I don't know, two or three chapters in them. And then you shift to the other point of view and you get, you know, two or three more chapters. And I love that. I thought that was such a clever way to organize a book. I agree. I like that part because we could actually, it wasn't as jarring as it can sometimes be because we could like really invest with the point of view we were where we were. The thing I didn't love or I struggled with a little bit was the last chapter in each section would be a completely different point of view. And I sometimes had trouble orienting myself for that perspective at the beginning of those chapters but the Kylie Bryson oh. trade-off I really liked and I enjoyed once I like got on board with it and like knew who these additional I liked that like it expanded the world and like helped paint the picture of what else was going on it just mm-hmm. especially the first few times was hard for me to be like wait who is this or how does this fit into what else we're reading about yeah and I, I think that being in third person helps because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you have shifting perspectives and they're all written from first-person point of view, it can get really confusing about who's talking. Um, I think being in third person really does help. Yeah, that's fair. So let's talk about Kylie and Bryson. 
our main characters. So they're twins. Kylie has the, what do they call it? I keep forgetting, like the the gift of the... The hollow tongue. The hollow tongue. So this whole world basically revolves around birds, mm-hmm. whether people <laughs> worship them and like falconry is a big thing and, and whatnot, or this on the flip side, there's these groups that, and this is where I'm confused. Do they just want to, do they want to get rid of birds or do they just want to stop enslaving birds? <laughs> or is that what the two, ex- is one of the extreme and one the like neutral? I was getting a little bit confused. So basically there's, there's two sects. There's mm-hmm. the Utsari who... They're like pro-falconry. They engage yep. in falconry, right? Um, their entire world is built on falconry. And they're kind of in charge current state, right? Yes. Like the central kingdom. Yes. And then the Altari are a group of people who believe that the Utsari way of training birds is blasphemy. And they believe it's blasphemy because they worship the birds. Okay. So they are like in awe of birds and they're almost like deities. So they think birds should be free. Exactly. And then within the Altari, there's religious fanatics. The Kartami. Yeah, the, the Kartami. And they believe that the birds themselves are sin. Okay. So it basically they said when one group prays to repent, the other group prays for annihilation. Okay. And maybe that's where I was getting confused because those are actually two different points of view. So Some people do just want the birds to be free and, like, humans to let them do their thing. And one group Mm -hmm. wants to get rid of the birds. I believe so. Okay. That helped. Yeah. And actually, it was interesting. I was reading a little bit about Alex London and how he was inspired to write this book. And he said that he Hmm. was, like, always fascinated by falconry. And it's, like, a practice that is around in, like, almost every culture. Um, The idea of, like, training a killer bird to fly for you and hunt for you and he just said he was fascinated by it and he said that at at its heart it's the art of manipulating or or managing another person's longing and keeping them just hungry enough to hunt for you and then he said it was like an apt metaphor for his first love (laughs) (laughs) and like the first guy he had a crush on which I just thought was kind of hilarious but there is something like really powerful about this idea of falconry at the heart of this culture. Mm-hmm. And I love that the birds themselves are just as much main characters as the people. I also love that it took, like, we didn't bring in dragons, right? We were taking like birds of prey, which we also have mm-hmm. in our world. But the way the world was built with this, like, yeah, the worshiping and the fear and just like how central it was to the culture it was like kind of a cool way to mix something familiar with something like to build up this new world that felt distinctly different from like our world but it still was cool that it wasn't like crazy creatures either yeah and it was kind of cool because it was a fantastical world that was rooted in the familiar and that's what I liked about it like that's a beautiful way to put it yes because like everything about the way they described falconry like to someone who was not well versed in falconry it felt so unique and so like I had never read anything like it before but then I had to keep telling myself like no there are falconers out there and it is like an art and a skill but he made it so much deeper I think than I ever could have imagined and like elevated it so much yeah Yeah. and just like the relationship that these people have with their hawks and their falcons and how like 
you feel like you bond with them, like you feel really close with them, but like at any minute they could just leave and not come back. And it's such a, it's a weird mm-hmm. push and pull between like, I love this bird and I would die for this bird. And I think this bird might die for me, but it also might just leave and never come back. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to overfeed it or I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And I just, I love some of the the things that are ingrained in the culture that are built around birds. So like in our opening scene, we get the scene where Bryson is in the fighting pits with his hawk. And so they have these essentially one-on-one fights with two people and their birds Mm -hmm. and I thought that was like such a cool idea I was like a little bit squeamish at first because I really don't like animals like the idea of animals fighting but the Mm -hmm. way he did it was perfect because he has like two people who are like literally fighting with knives and then their hawks are choosing really to fight with them against each other I thought that was just like such a cool setup it was a really cool setup I agree I don't know that I'd want to see it visually because it was brutal but it was a very cool idea and really yeah brought in the whole relationship between people and their bird as well and like the battle boys with like their beautiful like colored outfits it's just like the picture was painted very well like I could see everything and it was yeah a great beginning to this whole world and book and story for sure I feel like it it showed you a lot right instead of telling you or whatever yeah. they say it makes for good writing. Like being set there, even their relationship between Kylie and Bryson, I think was so well established in that initial scene with the battle boys and the just how reckless Bryson can be, but also like so kind of passionate, but lacks some of the skill and foresight. And then Kylie's kind of on the opposite end where she's like cares about her brother, but like it's so, I don't know, how would you even describe her? Like, she, I feel like she needs to like have a little fun too. <laughs> I feel like Kylie has a lot of guilt built up in her. That's like the best way I could describe her. Because she does have this gift. She can speak the hollow tongue. She has a really great way with birds. She can she can speak to them, essentially, and control them in a way that Bryson can't. And it's a little bit more complicated because they have this very abusive father mm-hmm. who essentially mutilated her brother and never laid a hand on her because she has this gift and Bryson doesn't. And I think mm-hmm. that conflict within their relationship is, I mean, that, that tension is, is the main conflict in their relationship. And it's so interesting how it like also, even though their father is gone by the beginning of this book, like she, she almost resents her gift because it's the source of her guilt and because like, it's not even like now that her dad's gone, she can embrace this hollow tongue thing or think it's cool or that she does it on the side when no one's watching. Like it's so representative to her. Like she doesn't even want to use it or try it or anything because it's so tied up with that guilty feeling that she has. Yeah. And I think she also feels like people want her gift to use it. Like people want to use her for her gift. She doesn't feel like anyone really sees her. her. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it makes her like really hesitant to use it. But Bryson on the other side would give anything to have her gift. You know, he is very drawn to falconry and he's obsessed with it and doesn't understand why she doesn't like it. Do you think some of that though is him trying to prove himself and like the society into his dad? Yep. But then his relationship with Shara really does feel more than that, right? It does. I think he is punishing himself a little bit to try and prove that he can be more than what his dad thought he was. 
which is so sad because his dad's dead and you just want to be like, you can just be yourself now. But I think that's definitely a lot of it. Like, that's the reason why he enters into these fights, even though they can be really dangerous and he is a little bit reckless and maybe takes risks that he otherwise maybe wouldn't have. My favorite thing about him, though, is despite all the brutality he has suffered, like, and Shar is one of the best examples of this, how he protected her. And there's a couple other moments, like even at the end with his mom, when he like grabbed his mom but didn't hit her, where you see his mm-hmm. good heart shine through. And the fact that he's maintained any of that kindness, despite what a hard, cruel life he's had. It's not just his dad either, right? Like, I feel like the town as a whole kind of looks down on him somewhat. Or, yeah, I mean, his dad's definitely the worst, but... I don't know, just I I think it's great to see those moments where he doesn't let that define him, even though he still has like a lot of issues because of all of that and the struggle is real. But those moments where he like protects his hawk or cares for someone or just chooses not to react violently, I think are like beautiful moments for his character. Yeah, I agree. And I also um, I feel for him, too, because I feel like he is someone who maybe like shows his emotions Mm -hmm. a little bit more um like he's not as strapped down as kylie is and i think uh in the beginning of the book he agrees to go track down the ghost eagle which is the eagle that he thinks killed his father and he does it kind of in service to the boy he loves damien kind of a hundred percent yeah (laughs) yeah a hundred percent and i oh my gosh i was so conflicted by this katie because we learn a little bit about damien and None of it's really good. <laughs> so mm-hmm. our first glimpse of him is when he bets against Bryson at the match, even though he is his trainer and yep. obsens- ostensibly his lover or boyfriend, yep. and bets against him. So first I was like, hmm, strike one, I already don't like you. And then we learned that he is a nobleman's son, and he's like a professionally trained hawk master, but he's a gambler and a liar, and his family cast him out. So he's kind of like living in the six villages as an outcast trying to get back in his family's good graces and I was like the entire time I was like Bryson I'm going to support you because I believe that you should be free to make your own decisions but this boy is not good enough for you (laughs) yeah he's not worth what you're putting yourself through I totally agree and it was so hard for me because I really thought the entire time that he was going to end up with him and I was going to have to try and root for them. And I just, I was not rooting for them. I was like, come on, you deserve so much better. No, I agree. And throughout the course of this book, even more is revealed. And I think we're totally justified in those feelings. But yeah, it was it was hard to, it made Bryson seem even more like romantic, impulsive, etc. as opposed to like logical or thoughtful. Because yeah, it's like, how do you, fall for this guy. This guy is trash and he treats you even worse than that. Yeah. And you can kind of, I mean, I totally bought the pattern because that is something that is extremely common. You know, if you have abuse in your past, like sometimes you choose partners to perpetuate that pattern. Yeah, that's true. But I was really glad when Bryson goes on the mountain and he meets the owl mothers. And this this was so cool. I loved the concept of the owl phantom boys who accompany the owl mothers and we meet joan mm-hmm. who is the brother of the enemy right right now Gorin, who is this man who it seems like pe- just everyone owes him money yep he's like the mob boss of this world or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
He is, and he's such an evil, like, he's such a good villain. Like, he's really terrifying. He, like, has this creepy house where he has, like, prisoners dressed up as falcons with, like, hoods over their eyes, and he breaks people's legs when they don't get him his money fast enough. He's terrifying. He reminds me of Jabba the Hutt for some reason. Oh, I don't know why, just because he kind of seemed like this gangsterish guy in his like hideout I mean he wasn't but for some reason something about that whole scene just reminded me maybe I've been watching too much Star Wars with my husband but anyways Um, but his brother Joan uh, everyone thinks he's dead but he's really living with the owl mothers up in the mountains and he's such a good contrast to Bryson too because when he was in the village he was also like abused by his family And everyone assumed he was dead, but he actually ran away. And it's interesting because we also know Bryson wanted to run away and was prepared to run away. And this is where some of Kylie's guilt comes from because he wanted her to go with him and she did not. Right. And because she didn't go with him, because she didn't help him escape, that's when his father burned him really badly. Yep. There was already plenty of abuse before that. But yeah, that was like the really, really, really bad one. Yeah. And so that's why Kylie follows him now into the mountains. But... I really want to learn more about Joan. He's one of my favorite characters now. And I think it's so interesting that he has been transformed. Like, he's covered in tattoos. I know. I want to hear more about this. I love mm-hmm. the tattoos. I love that, like, all the owl boys have part of a story on them. But the story is, like, too mm-hmm. big for one teller. So they all get, like, portions of a tattoo that tells a story. Mm-hmm. And there's something magical about him. Because, like, we get the scene where Bryson, like, falls through the ice. And then Joanne makes him drink his blood, oh, yeah. and he, like, binds himself to Bryson and then unbinds himself from the Owl Mothers. So now he's, like, he has some kind of a link to Bryson now. Which is also, again, another interesting, like, comparison of this whole, like, relationship between Falcon and Falconer and, like, the boundness. And obviously it's different because you don't, like, drink your Falcon's blood or whatever. But, I don't know, there's something really interesting about this life for a life idea and like mm. that Joan was willing to knowing that he'd be kicked out of the the safe space like still save Bryson and again just knowing he came from such a hard background too but made something different for himself I, yeah I'm really excited to see that relationship develop even further and hopefully get more of his story the owl mothers too were really interesting to me like I love this like matriarchal group of women off in the mountain forest who like use owls and they know more about the hollow tongue than it feels like anyone in the village does at least right and the main owl mother uku she wants to train kylie so she Mm -hmm. you know really wants kylie to stay with her and learn the hollow tongue well Mm -hmm. so that she can essentially she wants her to become a weapon to use against the fight that is brewing but i liked that uku i liked that she was so brutal too yeah like she wasn't this like benevolent mother figure who was (laughs) like out to help she was terrible she was kind of (laughs) terrible she wasn't even like motherly to the lost boys in the forest right she was like yeah just yeah brutal (laughs) that one scene though with uku and in Kylie when she remember when she takes the one man hostage Mm, yeah and ties him up yeah and then she like she sets Kylie against another girl who's also training and she's basically like okay here's a human sacrifice both of you have one hawk the one girl has to put the hawk on offense and like attack the man and if Kylie wants the man to survive she has to control the hawk and make the hawk 
not attack him. So she's like on defense. Again, so brutal, but so interesting because that that was just using the hollow tongue again. It was the same hawk. They could try to influence its behavior, but they couldn't touch the man. They couldn't touch the hawk. They couldn't like intervene directly. That was a, that was a cool idea and brutal and terrible to see, but. But I also just love the idea of how language needs to be so precise mm-hmm. and the danger of using it when it's not because Kylie was really trying to help the man and the other girl's winning and this poor man is dying and this like hawk is essentially eating him alive. And so she speaks the word mercy. She just throws the word mercy out and the word calls a bunch of vultures down who kill the man Mm -hmm. quickly so he's no longer tortured Mm -hmm. and she like didn't intend to do that yeah and so it was just like such a great way of showing how powerful the language is and how you can make really bad mistakes if you're not trained so like the stakes were raised which i thought was a really nice way to do it because you could just say like well who cares if she trains herself like what does it matter and that was just like such a great scene to make you really care about why she needs to learn totally and why she's scared to use her power yeah Exactly. I mean, that is that is extreme power to wield if you can literally save or end a man's life with just a word. Yeah. Then we also have a battle brewing, which I didn't fully understand. We know that the Kurgs are another group of people. They live in the Sky Castle. There's like a council of 40. They're like the ruling class of the Ustari, right? That's right. But they're also in league with the Owl Mothers, right? So now they are, so the Kartami, who we said were the like extreme fanatics of the Altari branch, who like take it even a step further, have been coming in from the desert and attacking the Ustari. So yeah, basically the Owl Mothers and the Kurgs have a mutual enemy, so they've kind of joined forces to try to protect their way of life and the birds and themselves and the village and all of that. Okay. But there's also like a lot of secrets because Goran had actually sided with the Kartami, which is why he wanted the ghost eagle. But then his sister, did she just want to undermine Goran when she went after Mm. Kylie and Bryson? Like everyone kind of wants the ghost eagle because it's A, it's just like a hugely powerful, can, can get in your head, impressive bird in this world that where birds mean so much. And then being able to control something like that whether it's through training or whether it's really control, which is where Kylie steps in because she has this like incredible hollow tongue gift that like translates to power in this world, basically. Yeah, like basically everyone has a different motivation for getting the ghost mm-hmm. eagle, whether it's wealth, nobility, respect for your family. And I kind of really liked that Bryson said this. He was like, well, we're not like any of them because I'm going after the eagle for love. Like everything we're doing is for love. And I just kind of like that idea that like he did kind of have pure motivations for getting the eagle and maybe that's one of the reasons why he did and kylie too it was for love of her brother but yeah yeah mm-hmm. and kylie too and also they have we learned that they have kind of a connection to the ghost eagle because bryson followed his father up the mountain when his father went to find the ghost eagle with the intention of proving himself useful and yeah impressing his dad and his dad tries to kill him but the eagle kills his father instead and then kylie admits that she was actually the one controlling the ghost eagle and she sent the eagle to kill their father to save him yeah or at least use some word that made that action happen yeah so question though it was a little unclear to me did the dad 
actually know that was Bryson and intend to kill him. Because from the dad's point of view at the very beginning, it was just someone's there. I'm going to kill them. And then I thought Bryson was just like, if he sees me, he will kill me. And Kylie was like, if he sees him, he will kill him. I'm, I, it wasn't clear. You're right. The way Bryson tells it, he, he makes it seem like his dad recognized him. That's true. He was like ready. He knew he was going to die. Yeah. Yeah. But I also really like the idea that when you're in the presence of the ghost eagle, it plants like your worst thoughts in your head. Mm-hmm. So like, who knows if his dad truly intended to kill him or if the eagle was just like filling his thoughts with all of his worst ideas True. and like drove him to it. I don't know, but I thought that was like a really interesting concept. And it was also like a great way to see characters' motivations, like their darkest, deepest feelings. It was just a good way to like draw that out of characters. I kind of hope that's where the magic mostly stops. I mean, the hollow tongue piece, but also it's like such a cool concept and I want to see it explored further to your point, especially as some of the characters mm-hmm. are like, no, these are my worst thoughts. Not who was it? Joe, when it was like telling Bryson and Kylie and Niall, like you're not your worst self like that. Yeah. You're right. That's such an interesting idea to explore. But I hope the ghost eagle doesn't have tons of other magic that comes in. I hope it's just like a really powerful bird that's big and has this one ability. <laughs> Yeah, I agree, because you know how I feel about too much magic, too, in books. And right now, I think it's perfect. I think the balance is absolutely perfect. Agreed. Yeah, I love this. Let's stay here. Because we don't need it. Like, there's already Mm -hmm. so many fascinating things about this world. Um, Even, like, who was Kylie's friends? Oh, yeah, the spy. Who was the spy? Like, that's such a fascinating... Vivian? Vivian, yeah. That's, like, such a fascinating idea that, like their society is built on spies and like you never know who was hired by someone else to spy on you but you you know basically that anyone could be a spy so it's like they're spying but it's out in the it's like out in the open i just think that's such a great idea Mm -hmm. i'm hoping that the way this book ended the next book has more of that kind of political intrigue like kylie's going off to court basically right so I hope we see more of the like spies and power plays and different motivations because I love that stuff. And this is, I'm glad that that wasn't what this whole story was about, but we had like kind of our adventure this story and I'm hoping that the second book sort of goes a different direction just for variety. I mean, I think it definitely will. Um, I really hope we do get to see more of Bryson and Kylie together though because right now Kylie is going off to the Sky Castle with Niall, which is kind of her love interest. But they say her brother can't go because she's too close to him and, like, he will interfere with her training, which is kind of like, meh, meh, I want Bryson, but I'm sure he'll he'll be up to something. I mean, but he's staying in the place where the battle's coming to. True. So, and, and he is going to 100% get into trouble. So I, I'm actually <laughs> excited to see him without Kylie there to pick up his mess. That's a good point because he is so, he resists her help all the time because he wants to prove himself all the time. Like he wants to know that he can survive without Mm -hmm. her and, you know, make his own way. So that's a good point. It will give him a little bit of space. (laughs) I don't need them apart. Not even necessarily for the whole second book. Definitely not for the whole series, but I am excited to see them without the influence of the other just a little bit. Like I hope they still like miss and care for and think about each other, but I think they'll both be differently motivated without directly kind of not even competing but a little bit or you know like Kylie's so concerned with protecting Bryson and Bryson is so concerned with proving himself separate from her and I'm just I'm excited to see how they manage without each other yeah that's true um and we're definitely gonna get 
I don't know if we're going to get a new villain, but it seems like the villain that is building is Anon. Is he the Kartami guy? Yes. Because, well, <laughs> Damien's out of the picture, so Damien went over a cliff. Oh, yeah. I will say, <laughs> I did not like Damien, but I don't know if he deserved to die. <laughs> like, that was a little extreme for me. I thought, like, if anything, send Goran over a cliff. No one's going to miss him. I don't disagree. And ju- <laughs> Like, I didn't think he needed to die, but... He kind of, because he was literally, he had Bryson on the edge of a cliff with a knife to his throat. So, like, at that point, I mean, he could have avoided the whole, he could have made different choices at the end. He didn't need to die because of everything, but sort of at that point, it's like, okay, well. And plenty of other people had died also, so maybe at that point, I was just like, okay, I'm over this guy. Let's let's get rid of him. (laughs) We need need him gone. (laughs) I mean, I think, honestly, the mom was one of the worst characters. And she was, like, such a more subtle villain. Mm-hmm. But, oof, I mean, I already didn't like her for not protecting her son. But then there was that moment where she says... So so their mother is Altari. So mm-hmm. she doesn't believe in, in the falconry that they do. She thinks it's blasphemy. But then she had a moment, remember, where she says that she hoped that their father's cruelty would make her kids hate the Utsari ways and and like make them drawn to her views Mm -hmm. and that like that blew my mind where she was basically like yeah I let your father mutilate you and I didn't intervene because I thought that his cruelty would make you see my point of view like oh I mean she's number one villain in my in my book she yeah she's a terrible mother and she could have died too in my thoughts but I am interested I don't know that we're going to get this, but I think it would be interesting to get more of her backstory, especially because I don't understand how her and the dad got together in the first place. Yeah. And I think it would be interesting if she became humanized a little bit more for us or if we got more of like why she's able to be so cold to her children. And I'm I'm not necessarily convinced we'll get that, but maybe if Bryson and his mom interact more in this next book, we might see some of that. And I think... That could be really interesting. I don't need it, but if we see more of the mom, I hope we get that side of her. I agree. Um, Did you do any research for this book? I did a little bit. Um, So Kylie follows Bryson off into the ghost eagle world, and she keeps referencing how she used to like climb every morning, and Mm. both of them are climbing, and they're like climbing is kind of a theme in here as well. It's not as critical as like falconry to the culture and the world as a whole, but it's definitely a part of their life and their skill set. And um, I just think rock climbing is cool. And I did a little bit of research on that. Oh, fun. Which also, I didn't know this. Rock climbing was supposed to be an Olympic sport in 2020. No way. Yeah, for the first time. So, Like free um, soloing or? So what are the events? Let's see what it's. Oh my God, I would. I, ooh, it's hard enough to watch some Olympic events like balance beam. Don't even get me started. I have to watch it with, like, my eyes half closed. I can't imagine watching somebody climb. I'd be so afraid for them. Yeah. So I know there's different kinds of competitions in general. Most of them are, like, how fast can you do things? In Tokyo in 2020, the plan was there would be 40 athletes in total, evenly split into two groups of 20, competing in three disciplines. So bouldering, lead climbing, and speed. So I guess those were the three events. Mm -hmm. Each round will start with the presentation of the athletes, followed by an observation of the routes. In lead, athletes attempt to climb as high as possible on a wall measuring more than 15 meters in height and 6 meters overhanging within a fixed time. 
and bouldering the objective is to overcome the most problems on a climbing route and the least number of attempts on 4.5 meter high structures over a set period of time the ranking is decided by the number of problems overcome so i don't know exactly how that's measured but and then the third event was speed so doing it as fast as mm. possible so that i mean i'm just intrigued because I think rock climbing is really cool, but it also terrifies me because I'm scared of heights and I don't like not being in control. Our friend Viss and I used to do rock climbing together at, at a gym in Chicago. We took some lessons. I can't do that. I've gone bouldering once and I maybe got up three feet and I was like, yeah, I'm done. I I actually prefer being in the rope to boulder. Like I know you go higher when you're roped in, but just something about like, okay, someone, as long as it's someone I trust, like has me mm-hmm. and if I fall, I'm not falling to me is more comfortable than bouldering a little bit off the ground. It's also just interesting because it's such a mind sport too. Like it's very physical definitely, but like some of it is like, yeah, how do you climb smartly or like find the right route or like use your body efficiently? And I love that aspect of it. And that's what really helped me because it helped me not think about how high I was if I was thinking about like technique and like how to use my legs instead of my hands and how to, you know, where I was going to go next and how to position myself places and stuff. Um, But let's see. So rock climbing began as a recognized sport in the 1880s in England. Hmm. Okay. Some of these are just completely random facts that have things to do with climbing in general. In 2018, porters working on Mount Everest brought down 14 tons of human excrement from base camps. That doesn't surprise me. The whole Mount Everest is just like completely covered in litter. It's so sad. It's so gross and so sad, yeah. So rock climbing is supposed to actually be a good cure for a fear of heights or a fear of falling (laughs) as a way of like conquering that fear and like being in control and which is just kind of interesting to think about. Okay, so... Going back to the physical side of rock climbing, rock climbing can be as good for you cardio-wise as running 8 to 11 minute miles. Yeah, because you're panicking the whole time. (laughs) It might as well be interval training. My heart would be beating so hard the entire time. Yeah, it makes me nervous. But I really also want to do it. I've never done it outdoor, and I kind of want to. Mm -mm. No, thank you. I wonder if Alex London did any any rock climbing when writing this book. Because I know he did a lot of falconry training. Like, in person. That would be one of the most fun parts about doing research for a book. I was also thinking, like, if you and I still lived in the same city and COVID wasn't a thing, I feel like this book, we would have been like, hey, let's find somewhere where we can, like, go falconing. Go falconing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the verb is. Falconing. Falconing. (laughs) Absolutely. There's so many pictures of um, the author, like, on his blog, posing with hawks and, like, going through training. It looks so interesting I feel like I would just be in awe if I did it like I would feel so terrified and so just like because those birds are massive like they're not small and they're predators like they're there's something that's like terrifying about them but also just like they're so beautiful and yeah I agree and I I always think it's cool when humans and animals have special relationships like Mm -hmm. I mean, people with their horses or people with their dogs or people, but like, yeah, there's something fascinating about like, I think to watch someone who really knows what they're doing and has a really good relationship with their bird, like at work, I wouldn't even need to like touch the bird or be there myself, but just, I think it would be just to watch that relationship and that. Just to observe. Yeah. So once we're allowed in person again, we'll uh, figure out how to do that. Okay. (laughs) We'll go rock climbing and and practice falconry. (laughs) Good goals. 
And then we'll go back to knife throwing because we were both We were pretty good at that. that. (laughs) Maybe we have other random skills. But yeah, that part would be cool. Um, What did you research? I did not research falconry per se, but I really liked at the very beginning we learned that the ghost eagle, the female, kills the male after mating. And so I researched some interesting mating rituals specifically around birds. Okay. I thought you were going to say I researched other animals that kill after mating specifically, which would have been exactly something you would research. (laughs) Yes, that really is. (laughs) Okay, but these are specifically strange bird mating rituals. And not even strange, I guess just interesting. So like the first one was uh, the bird of paradise, which is like one of the most famous mating rituals in the animal kingdom, I would say. Um... So they are birds that are found in New Guinea and parts of Eastern Australia. And it's also the... a flower, right? Or am I just mixing yes. up things? Yeah, that okay, is, that I is just want to. Yeah, that was what came to mind first. Okay. <laughs> um, so the males they perform a very complicated dance during mating to attract females. So what's really interesting is two men. So Dr. Scholes and Mr. Laman. They essentially they spent eight years carrying out 18 expeditions to New Guinea to document 39 species of birds of paradise. And they did that through planet Earth. What was really unique about what they did was they wanted to film the birds dancing, but from the female's point of view. Huh, that is cool. Yeah, it was something that had never before been attempted. And so they said, like, okay, we know these this dance is very elaborate. Like, we must be missing something. Like, we want to see what the, what the female birds see. So they were able to record the dance from the female's viewpoint. And it was completely, like, the bird didn't even look like a bird. It looks like a very bright disc, like, that was very colorful and that, like, flashed and shimmered hmm. in the forest floor. And what's really interesting is these dances are often inherited from father to son, which is really cute. And then they're like practiced and refined throughout the entire life. Aww. So does that mean the dads help raise the baby boy birds? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they at least teach them the dances and they practice them a lot throughout their life until they're ready to mate. And they have documented juvenile male birds practicing for each other. So, like, they'll try out their dances with, like, their guy friends. They love it. <laughs> they have, like, they essentially they have, like, wingmen. <laughs> like, literally. Literally. <laughs> who, like, help them prepare their dances and test it out on each other. Like, hey, how do I look, bro? Oh, my goodness. I love everything about that. <laughs> Isn't that so sweet? It's so cute. And what's fascinating is the males have become even more brightly colored and even more flashy generation after generation because the more attractive they are, the more ladybirds want to mate with them. So they'll be the ones to pass on their genes. Yeah, okay. And so it's just really interesting how, like, over the years, the very fancy birds are the ones passing on their material. So they keep getting fancier and fancier. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny to think about. Um, I also researched bowerbirds. I don't know what those are. So they are birds that like to show off their building skills when they are mating. Mm -hmm. So they build these very extravagant structures known as bowers. 
and they use twigs and leaves and bones and shells and stones and then they also like to find shiny objects and flower petals (laughs) and they just like make this elaborate structure and fill it with things that they think will attract a mate feathers berries discarded plastic items coins um, pieces of glass like the males spend hours arranging this collection and then the females will visit multiple bowers until they find the one they like best. And then do they live in it? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. I think, and it doesn't say they live in it. I think they just, they build this structure to like attract a female and the female visits different bowers. So it's really just mating purposes yeah. or, you know, attracting, attraction purposes. Um, if I were one of those birds, I would hope that they would collect lots of books. That would be nice. That would attract me. Or book pages to make their structure. Um, <laughs> I think this was in Planet Earth, actually. There was, like, one bower bird who found this, like, heart. Like, literally found a red plastic heart. And he was so excited to, like, put it in his nest to, to like, <laughs> attract a female. And another bird came and... The bird thought it was a female, and so he was, like, very proud, and the bird was, like, very interested. And then, at the end, they revealed that it wasn't a female, it was a juvenile male who was just, like, checking out this guy's bower, and then he stole the plastic heart. I was going to say, did he take it? Oh, my goodness. Wait, I need to check this out. Oh, my God, it was so watch cute. watch some planet Earth. Okay. Uh, so, Adelie penguins, they live off the Antarctic coast, and they collect little rare rocks to present to their mates. So a male penguin will present rocks to the female, and the female actually uses the rocks to line her nest. And if she likes the rock that the male presents to her, she will allow him to mate with her. Is this like the pebble and the penguin? Did you ever watch that when you were little? Yeah. That's, what I'm thinking of right ba- that's kind of based off of it, yeah. But if the male wanders off and another male comes with a better rock, she'll also mate with him. So they're not okay. super monogamous in that regard. <laughs> bigger diamond it's fine (laughs) um male frigate birds they have um these red pouches on their chests and they inflate like balloons and they use them they inflate them to attract females and during mating season the male will sit on a nest and like puff up this balloon and if a female likes the male she'll land beside him and allow him to mate but they said that Jealous males will try to jump on the chosen partner and try to puncture his balloon with their beaks. Ooh. Well, yeah, you can't compete if your balloon won't inflate. I know. It's just so vicious. It is. It's kind of playing dirty. Just focus on your own balloon, boys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then um, the white-fronted parrots, they mate by kissing, and they actually put their beaks together and touch each other's tongues. And then the male vomits into the female's mouth. <laughs> oh, that, don't try that with me. <laughs> and that apparently gets her in the mood. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, those are some interesting bird mating rituals. <laughs> that is interesting. That's fascinating, really. But I will say, I'm really enjoying this book so far, or this series so far. I don't know about you, but I, I'm really drawn in. I think the characters are great. I think the concept is really... Like, I think it's a high concept book. I think it's having a whole society built around falconry is like really fascinating. 
I do, too. I feel like it is not like most things we've read. And even good books that we've read, because we read so much YA fantasy and sci-fi stuff, like it's nice to have something where I'm not sure where it's going. And it feels fresh and different. And honestly, for how long it was, it was a quick read for me in a good way. Yeah, I agree. It was like, it was easy to read without being simplistic, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like just coming off of An Ember in the Ashes, I had to focus so hard to read that book. Well, I'm curious as we make the world, like, again, we're splitting. I'm curious to see how the rest of the series goes. I can't wait to see the Sky Castle. Yeah. That's what I'm looking most forward to, I think. I also just, I want the ghost eagle to be more of a character. Like, I want to understand the ghost eagle more now that we've caught them. Mm-hmm. I want to see this bond develop. I want to, yeah, I'm curious to see a lot of it. And I'm glad. I think it's fun that, like, the owl mother is sort of back, but we don't really trust her at the same time. But, like, I don't know. I, I feel like there's been a lot of good foundational stuff laid out while still accomplished. Like, it felt like a solid first book. Like, it, it didn't just, like, end randomly. Like, we completed our first book mission but now we definitely have a good foundation for for what's to come as well i agree did you have a favorite scene Ooh, good question probably at the end even though a lot was happening but kylie trusting herself to say something to the ghost eagle bryson falling off the cliff but trusting his sister i don't know something about that scene i think was maybe one of my favorites because it was sort of the culmination of so much that had come before as well because he knew that his sister would save him yeah or he trusted yeah yeah he like finally accepted her help and not only that but was like i need you yeah and she trusted herself to say something to protect her brother and Mm -hmm. i don't know i i liked what it meant and i also thought it was kind of a cool scene just with like the moving parts and and Goran was like hiding under a rock or something and that's just funny to me also (laughs) I kind of wanted to see where the owl boys what were they called I forget the coven the coven yeah the covey yeah I that would probably be one of my favorite scenes like maybe the first time we see them and they just look like the way they're described they seem so fascinating Um, or where Kylie yells at the top of that waterfall surprise me in the hollow tongue and all the birds and owls fly up and the um covey are all out like I don't know just like all the different people there that would be a cool scene to see yes so something with Kylie using her gift yeah to either call vultures or call a whole sky full of Mm -hmm. birds or Shara Shara who are you gonna call Shara Shara to do something yeah that's what I'd like to see I like it oh well okay we're gonna start the second book it's called Red Skies Falling I'll read uh, a synopsis sounds good okay in this thrilling sequel to Blackwing's beating twins Kylie and Bryson are separated by the expanse of Utsar but are preparing for the same war or so they think Kylie is ensconced in the Sky Castle, training with Memuku to master the Hollow Tongue and the Ghost Eagle. But political intrigue abounds, and court drama seems to seep through the castle stones like blood from a broken feather. Yes! <laughs> I love court drama! Me too. Uh, meanwhile, Bryson is still in the Six Villages, preparing for an attack by the Kartami. The villages have become Utsar's first line of defense, and the refugees are flooding in from the plains. But their arrival lays bare the villagers' darkest instincts. As Bryson navigates the growing turmoil, he must also grapple with a newfound gift, a burgeoning crush on a mysterious boy, and a shocking betrayal. The two will meet again on the battlefield, fighting the same war from different sides. Or so they think. The ghost eagle has its own plans. 
Oh my gosh, this is so... I love this book. <laughs> what? I'm so curious. How do they end up on different know, sides? And it. what is this unexpected gift? Oh, okay. I'm excited. Let's... Ah, yeah, let's get to reading. I will say, um, I know I made a big stink about the names in the last episode. They did not bother me. Once I got in it, they totally didn't bother me at all. Although I think I said I like names that have Ys in them, and there's maybe a little <laughs> heavy on the Ys in all of the names on the villagers, but they didn't bother me either. But it was, I, I just like felt like I was being mocked because I think I said that, or if I didn't say it, I was thinking it last time, that I like Ys in names, and then it was like literally every name had a Y in there somewhere. <laughs> I, I love that we have non-human characters. I just love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're not personified either. I mean, they're not like right. talking or anything. They're animals. Like I like that they're... Yeah, they are animals. Very into it. Okay, um, do you have a joke for me this week? I do. This is a climbing joke for you. Oh, nice. So, what do you call a giant reptile that hurts themselves climbing? T rect. Oh, I like that. No, <laughs> it's just dinosaur. Oh. <laughs> okay. I could be like, that doesn't have to be climbing. Though. I know, it doesn't specifically have to be. I like T-Rect better, honestly. Wait, there was one more, but where did it go? These are probably like when you go climbing as a dad, these would be some of your go-to. True. What type of climbing calls you on the phone but hangs up before you can answer? Um, I don't know, a prank call? I don't know. Bouldering ring. <laughs> I don't get it. As opposed to, okay, what about what type of climbing calls you and leaves a voicemail if you don't pick up? I don't know. Boulder ring, 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 ring. Oh. <laughs> they're kind of oh, dumb. I mean, they're, they're, they're very dumb. <laughs> it took me a minute. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> uh, do people even keep their, do phones even ring anymore? I don't even know. <laughs> These might be outdated. Uh, but there we go. Let us know if you've been falconry, fal, falconing. Falconry? Fal, first, let us know what it's called. <laughs> and then let us know about the experience if you have hung out with people who know how to do falconry. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do that by emailing us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. There's a reason I don't usually start those, I guess. And now we know what that reason is. We can't go do it until we know how to pronounce it. it's the rule all right i am excited to read this next book bye bookworms go get a library card M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelphy, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.